All right. Good evening, everybody. It's good to see everyone here. Open with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 5. We're going to continue this wonderful story. Now, we left off last week looking at the the tail end of Acts chapter 4. And we were looking at how the early church was gathered together in one body, connected in the love of the Father, and devoting everything they had to each other. Even to the point where it says that they... um, that they did not say that any of the things that they possessed was their own. And so we saw many uh, uh, giving away their property, selling their land, and, and men like Barnabas coming and taking the proceeds and laying them down at the feet of the apostles so that everything that anyone had was available if anyone else was in need. In need being an important word. And we talked about what it means to not hold back from Christ and not to hold back to each other. Now, tonight we're going to look at a bit of a contrast, um, a, a, a great contrast, actually, as we look at a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. And they're going to, they're going to, help get us started on a journey through the scriptures tonight. So the title for tonight's message is No Room for Fakers. Okay? So join with me, if you will. We're going to read through the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 5. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things, and upon all those who had, I'm sorry, and the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now, it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear 
came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Man, this is this is an interesting story, to say the least. But you see, we have something very comparable to what we read at the end of chapter 4. If you want to back up with me to verse 36, it says, And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, he sold it. And he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, he didn't die. In fact, they're speaking pretty well of the guy. So there's pretty similar things going down. They're, they're both selling their land. They're both coming and being part of the church. They're probably both there when they're reading the word and worshiping. They're even giving their own money for others' sake. Yet, Annas and Sapphira were killed by the Lord himself. So there's, there's something obviously going on here. And what we have going on here is a very, very serious issue called false worship. False worship. I want you to notice with me, it says in verse 2, chapter 5, verse 2, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now let me ask you something. Do you think that was really that b- a problem? I mean, let me ask you this. If you decide, you know what? I don't know. I've got some extra jewelry I got from my mom. I don't ever wear it. I'm going to go sell it. I'm going to make 100 bucks. You know, I'm going to give 80 to the church. And then I'm going to keep 20 for myself for gas. Should you be afraid that God's going to kill you? I hope not. That'd be unfortunate. Well, that seems to be all that's going on until we read down a little farther. It says in verse 3, And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price for the land for yourself? He says, to paraphrase as we go on, Look, when it was your land, it was yours. You could do whatever you want with it. And after you sold it, the money was yours. If you, could, if you kept half and gave half, whatever. The Lord has given that to you. Yet the issue was, it says somewhere in here, that they did not lie to men, but that they lied to the Holy Spirit. So it's very interesting. We have this community of people drawing together, and they're giving all they have out of worship, out of love for the living God. And then we have two others who want to be part of the show. Right? They like the crowds. They like the stir. They like the attention. And so they go, they sell some. And they come and they bring and they give money in front of everybody. Oh, yes, here's, here's the money for my land. And they kept back from some for themselves. Deceitfully. 
So we have this issue of them maybe giving these things or maybe coming and worshiping in the name of God, maybe coming and offering in a sense to God as far as the people are concerned. But when we look at the scriptures, it seems in their heart that what they were doing was not for God. It was not born out of a relationship with the Lord. It was simply a similar work. And God rejected it. In fact, God killed them. Why? That's crazy. Well, because there's a couple things about about this type of worship. For one, the motive was selfish. The motive was selfish. Secondly, the testimony that they were displaying was sinful. They were lying. And because of these things, then the offering that they were giving was actually vile. It was unclean. You know, Jesus tells us the secret formula to worshiping the Lord. He tells us there's very specific things that God is looking for from those who desire to worship him. You know what those are? It's pretty simple, actually. In John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24, Jesus, the scripture says he had to go through Samaria. And so as he's going through Samaria, he meets a woman there sitting by a well. It's midday and they begin to, to speak. And as he very subtly starts declosing to her that he is the Messiah, she starts to change subjects. And, oh, well, you know, y'all worship over there, and we worship over here, and, you know, whatever. We all just worship. And one day God's going to show up, and he'll, you know, he'll just straighten it out. No big deal. You know, Messiah is going to come. He'll let us know what's up. Jesus' answer is real straight. I love it. He looks at her and he says, oh, Messiah, Messiah. Oh, yeah. Oh, by the way, that's me. That's me. And you want to talk about worship? He says in verses 23 through 24, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, when the true worshipers, now, why would Jesus say true worshipers? Why wouldn't he just say worshipers? See, the fact that he says true worshiper means what? That there will be some who worship and are not authentic. And guess what? There will be worship in our life as Christians at times that falls far from authentic. He says, and now has come the time when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. He says God is spirit, and so his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So God is looking for a very specific type of worship. In fact, I would dare say that not everything we say is worship is indeed worship, but that in our actions and in our walk in this life, there are qualifications. There is a very fine line 
that takes what we're doing and separates it rather to true worship before the Lord or false worship before the Lord. And this is incredibly important because God rejects, God rejects unworthy worship, even if it's in his name. Check this out. Join me in Genesis chapter 4, verses 2 through 7. So this is in the garden. Adam and Eve have already sinned. They've already fallen. And uh, God has provided a covering for them. And now they're beginning to have children. And so it says, starting in verse 2, they had two sons, Cain and Abel. Now Abel kept flocks. And Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So what in the world is going on here? We see Cain and Abel, they're both brothers. They're both out working. Cain's uh, uh, working the, the soil. So he takes what he has, right? He's got fruits and vegetables. And he takes some of his hard work and he comes and he brings it before the Lord. His brother Abel is our herder. So he takes some of what he has and some, uh, uh, an offering of fat from, from, the, from the animals. And he comes and he takes it before the Lord. And it says that God accepts Abel and Abel's sacrifice. But God rejected Cain and Cain's sacrifice. Well, that's unfair, don't you think? I mean, what in the world? What's going on? Well, you see, I think the same issue is found here. I want you to notice... There is no law at this time. There's no law. You know, if you read through the Old Testament, you get the law of Moses and everything that comes with it. And there's, you make these sacrifices for these reasons with this salt and this oil, and you can use this lamb, but not this lamb. And if you don't have that lamb, then you can use these. And if you don't use these, well, then you could at least use these. And it goes on for pages and pages. There is no law. There is no qualification, Right? There is no sin offering. This is just an offering from the people's hearts to the Lord. But I want you to notice something, something that we can see in hindsight. And it's the fact that in Genesis chapter 4, it says that Abel brought an offering of his first fruits. From the first portion of what he had, and he gave that to God. And then even out of the first fruits, he gave the fat as an offering. You know, in the book of Luke, 
Jesus says that Abel's the first prophet? Did you know that? Talks about the blood of the prophets from Abel to Zechariah. Abel don't even say nothing. How is he a prophet? Is it not his sacrifice? That out of his heart, out of his love and his adoration, he gave to the Lord of his first fruits and of the fat of the offering, which later becomes a format for all the sacrifices of Israel. The fat portions belong to the Lord. The first fruit of every womb, of every harvest, of everything in your life belongs to the Lord. Here we have Abel the prophet. And then we have Cain, and it says, and he gave of some. What is it? Where is that? It says, of time Cain brought some of his fruits. You see, it's a subtle, it's a subtle difference. It's a subtle difference, but it's the, it's the heart that God looks at in a man and in a woman. The Old Testament says that God does not look at man the way we look at man, but that God sees the heart, right? So Cain was rejected. He was angry, and God told him, if you would have done what was right, you would have been accepted. It was not about that he brought fruit and not a, uh, a bull. But sin was crouching at his door, and he was rejected because the conditions of his worship before God was wrong. Now, this is incredibly important. This is important for three reasons. I want to state these out now. It's important because we live in an age where the church wants to, where people want to worship in a new way. They want to worship in their own way. In my opinion, they want to worship in crazy ways. They want to roll on the ground. They want to bark like dogs. I'm serious. That is, I'm, they do that. Right? They want to say that the, you know, oh, I don't, I don't read the word. The Spirit just leads me. And I have a spiritual relationship because there's gold dust on my hands. I'm not making I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. But see, God's a God of order and God is a, a God of perfection, and He has ordained a position of worship that He will accept. And everything that falls out of that becomes idol worship. I'll prove it further in Leviticus 10, verses 1 through 3. I'm like, wait a minute, Leviticus? Whoa, what are we doing here? Darren, calm down. Don't, don't do this to me, man. Anybody here ever heard of Strange Fire? Strange Fire? It's a really interesting story, actually. So, Everybody here knows who Moses is, right? Old Moses with the staff, splitting the waters, even though that was his brother. Well, Moses did have a brother. His name was Aaron, and he was a priest. He was a priest of the God of God Most High, and he had two sons named Nadab and Abihu. Everybody say Nadab and Abihu. 
Nadab and that was the most pitiful thing I've ever heard in my life. Nadab and Abihu. And now say it five times fast. No, don't do that. So Nahab and Abihu were priests under their father Aaron. And in Leviticus, we have God establishing his order of sacrifice. We have God establishing really his order for everything. You've got how to deal with mold. You've got how the priests should function. You've got how sacrifices should function, all these things. And then in verses 1 through 3, it says this. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and put incense on it. Now notice this. It says, and they offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all people, I must be glorified. I must be glorified. Man, God is, we don't, one of the things I remember, there's a, there's a sermon that Paul Washer does, and he says, the reason we don't understand the depth of our sin before God is because we don't really understand the vastness of God's holiness. We don't have a grasp on what that really means. That he is perfect and he is blameless and he is separate from all sin, filth, and corruption. He is the creator of all things, right? He will be regarded as holy. And in his worship, he has designed order. And therefore, our sacrifice to the Lord, whatever it is, must reflect that. And we have to come and in our sacrifice, regard God as holy. If we come to Jesus any other way than through an authentic heart of worship, it's making our offering defiled. Go back and look at, look at Nadab and Abihu. What about their fire was wrong? They threw some coals in there and they threw some incense on there. What about that was wrong? There was no pork, right? There were no bugs. There were no unclean things. But because they stood before the masses and they thought that they would stand before the holy God in their own way, he consumed them with fire. Consumed them with fire. Because their heart was not for him. It was for themselves. It was for their own glory, right? Why else would they do such a silly thing? I ain't going to stand up before God and do something. Shoot, no. 
So when we come before him with anything less than an authentic heart of worship, our offering is defiled. But check this, we become transgressors. Think about that for a second. Now, what am I really talking about here? I don't know. I, I think y'all are probably following me, but just in case you're not, let's think about this. You know, when we come and we, we come here and we come to worship God, this is supposed to be an offering of thanksgiving, an offering of joy where we're coming and we're giving ourselves to God. We're giving our failures to God. Yes, we're finding fulfillment in his word. We're being built up in his spirit, but we're coming to lay ourselves down to the living God as the living God came to lay himself down for us. And it's an act of worship. And so when we come and we don't have an authentic heart, we don't come to give to the Lord in spirit and also in truth. Our offering is defiled. It's defiled. It becomes false worship. You know what the word transgress means? It's kind of a churchy word, right? Has anybody ever heard the word transgress outside of like a church setting? You have? What, for what? Okay, well, if you use it, that doesn't count. Nobody, nobody's ever heard that, right? So I went ahead and I uh, looked it up for you. To transgress means to violate law, to violate a command or a moral code. It's to offend or to sin. It's even in the case of the strange fire, these two men who consumed, to transgress can simply mean to go beyond the imposed limits. Right? And so when we come and we, we do these things and we, we raise our hands and we praise the Lord and we go through these motions and It doesn't come from a state of worship in our hearts. That's transgression. That's offense to God. Now, you don't have to believe me, but I think it's in Isaiah. I could be wrong, Zechariah. I don't know. You can look it up. You got Google, right? God says, they come near me with their lips. What does that mean? Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. Glory, glory, glory. He says, they come near me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and I will cast them out. Here's the interesting part. I want you to think about Cain and Abel's sacrifice. I want you to think about the strange fire that Nadab and Abihu took before the Lord. I want you to think about Ananias and Sapphira coming giving most of what they had before the Lord. And I want to ask you something. Did God need any of that? Was God hungry all those days in the wilderness that he needed so many bulls? He got a large appetite. Did God need their fire and their incense to be made holy? Did God in any way lack anything that he needed, that extra X, Y, Z, that Ananias and Sapphira left out of their offering? No. No, 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 no. God is all sufficient fully in himself, and he does not need your stuff. He does not need your works. He simply calls for us to worship him in the spirit, in his spirit, and in obedience to his truth. 
But God is pretty potent in proving to us that there's no room for fakers in the kingdom of God. There's not. So often, <coughs> we see people who strive and strive and strive and strive in life, and they think, well, if I can just get to this, this one place, then I can come to God. Then the Lord will accept me. Then I can go to church. God doesn't need their works. In fact, God empowers the works of those who love him. We see men and women who, in the body, and I know because I've been guilty of it myself, when we strive and we strive and we have to do the right things, we have to say the right words, we have to know the right verses, we have to be in the right places, and they get burnt out. And there's no fruits, and they're frustrated. And they feel empty still. God does not need your works. He does not need your striving. He wants you to have a heart that is laid down to worship, to worship, to worship, to worship in spirit and in truth. That's it. Not in the flesh, not in programs, not in systems, not with a degree in spirit. And anything less than an authentic worship with the Lord is strange fire. And it'll consume you. It will. Let's go back to Acts. Back to Acts chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. After Peter said, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. He says that, that Satan has caused them to conceive in their hearts to lie to God. Right? That's the issue. The issue of your heart. You know, I have my own definition of worship. Is that okay with everybody? If I give you my own definition of worship? The Darren Miller translation um, definition of worship is anything that your heart gets raptured up in. That's it. Anything your, your heart is wrapped up in fervently, you're worshiping it. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a, you know, a Lamborghini, a calf, a tree, right? I know people who got Nikes stacked to the ceiling in their closet. I've seen a dude take a Nike out of a box, lick it, and put it back. I don't know why. I, I don't know. Don't ask me, all right? I'm white. I don't do that. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh. Anything our heart is raptured up in is, becomes worship. And if we think about those things that our hearts are, are drawn and filled with and, and, and wrapped around, if whatever is in the middle of that is not Christ, we're going to have problems. And we have to realize we're walking in false worship there. But also we have to ask, in anywhere in our life is Christ there. And in, in all of our works and striving and as we come to church, as we stand up and sing songs, as we sit down and listen, as we go home, as we pray, is Christ the thing that our hearts are being raptured up into? 
Are we worshiping him just for the sake of worshiping him? Because that, those are the people God is looking for. Jesus didn't say, he's, I'm looking for people who will give me all their money and wear a white collar, right? He didn't say, if you're not willing to go to Africa, he said, I'm looking for people to worship in spirit and in truth. See, all of these things, then Cain taking and tithing, basically is what Cain was doing. Tithing from his fruit, it wasn't enough. It's not what God wanted. His tithe was useless. The sons of Aaron standing up to glor- even to glorify God as it would seem was not enough. It's not what God wanted. He didn't ask them to do that. Ananias and Sapphira selling their land to give the money to the poor wasn't enough. It's not what God wanted because their hearts were not first for the Lord. Those sacrifices, those offerings were really for themselves. And they were not filled with the Spirit. They were not giving out of a heart of worship. And guys, anything, that, here's the point. First of all, the point is, anybody anywhere without the Spirit of God has nothing. And you cannot worship God without His Spirit. I don't care how high your hands are raised. I don't know how many Bethel songs you know, right? I don't care how great you play in the church worship band. I don't care if you've been in church for 30 years. Without the Spirit of God, you cannot worship the way that God seeks to be worshipped. Right? And just like the strange fire, one day those people will be consumed with fire. Their offerings will be rejected. And the sentence will be death. That's the way it is. That's why we share the gospel. But also for us as Christians, James says, what does James says? Anybody, anybody know where I'm going with this? Faith without works is what? Dead. But I'll tell you this. Any works that do not come from a heart, a heart of worship, are no works at all. No works at all. Anything you do, anything you strive for, if it's not springing forth from a love and a surrender to Christ that's present in you outside of small group, outside of church, like Jesus says, when you go in your room and you shut the door, if it doesn't flow from that, it's false. Worship is not an action. It's not a work. It's not a deed. It's a state of your heart being wrapped in love to the Spirit of God. And just as it's a problem for many others, it can become a problem for us. So I want to encourage you to look at your days, your weeks, the time you spend with the Lord. Look at the time you spend at church. Look at the time you spend doing anything. And how much of that time, 
how much of that time is lost in a loving relationship between you and God? Because that is what he's looking for. Guys, when we allow the Holy Spirit to permeate our soul, when we allow ourselves to come before the presence of God, it's the Bible says if we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. <coughs> and when we're filled with his spirit, good works will come because we will have a heart, a heart that out of love will give as the church gave. Out of love will offer sacrifice to praise because we've experienced him in our life out of love and worship we'll lift up our hands and we'll sing because your soul will be crying out i used to go to calvary temple before i came to friendship bible church and the one thing i do like about that church is they have an amazing worship band and i was still in a place of transition where i was still beginning to understand the fullness of god's grace and, and, and having him walk me out of my old life. And I remember week after week standing there and just bawling like a little girl during worship. Just bawling and bawling and bawling. Because I was understanding again and again each week the great depth of love that God had for me and for all of his people. And out of that Christ-centered heart filled with his love, worship, came forth and as that was cultivated worship came forth in my words and in my actions and in my giving and in everything else and the Lord wants us wants for all of us for worship not to be on a Wednesday night not to be on a Sunday morning but to be the state of who you are and that is a worship God will accept. So start there. Start there. Don't, don't worry about the works. Don't worry about the check boxes. Leave those alone. Rest. Rest in God. Find that first. He will give you the rest. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that, Lord, your word says we can come boldly before your throne because we have you, Lord Jesus Christ, as our high priest who has endured all temptation yet without sin and being perfect and blameless and apart from our own wickedness. Lord, you gave your life and your own blood that... <laughs> that as you rose again and conquered sin and death, that you might give your own spirit to all those who surrender to you, that by your spirit we would be filled with your love, and that by your spirit we could offer acceptable sacrifice of praise to your name. So, Lord, I pray that there's nobody in this church who would be like Ananias and Sapphira showing up and joining the crowd and having similar works, but lacking the one thing that you seek, which is an intimate, intimate relationship. And I pray for all of us that we would learn to rest in you daily, weekly, 
and allow ourselves to be filled with a spirit of worship. A worship that pours out into everyone we, we contact. That they would see your glory through our lives. And so, Father God, I just... I pray for blessings on this room, Lord. I pray for salvation over this room. I pay, pray for repentance over this room. And Lord, I pray for peace over everyone here. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.